Welcome to the Tango Juliet Foxtrot podcast. My name is Ian Donnelly. I spent 30 years in the police and I did a lot of interesting jobs during that time at many ranks. When I left the police, I wrote a book all about my experiences, the title of which, unsurprisingly, is Tango Juliet Foxtrot. But you'll need to read the book to understand what TJF stands for. This podcast is all about British policing, the good, the bad and the ugly. If you're interested in what policing's really like, this is definitely the podcast for you. In it, I interview lots of people who have done some amazing things in policing. And I also give you my thoughts on what's been going on in the news to help you understand how it all works or doesn't work sometimes. Caution is advised as some of the topics can be distressing and there's some swearing from time to time. So, here we go. Hello everybody, welcome to episode 52 of the Tango Gillette Foxtrot podcast. Hope you're all well. So this week um, I'm going to be interviewing an ex-colleague uh, from the West Midlands Police, uh, retired some time ago, uh, ex-superintendent Bob Bird. Bob is a larger-than-life character, uh, mad as a box of frogs. I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying that. And uh, yeah, really good fun, good, good, uh, very sensible. He was one of those people who operationally was very, very good. He was able to put his sensible head on. Thank God for everyone. Um, but uh, yeah, really good fun to be around. Uh, and he reinvented himself after he left as a forensic computing sort of cyber crime hacking, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, university, university lecture led the uh, all those courses at Coventry University. He was the head of department. So uh, really interesting uh, life that he's led. Um, but before we get into the interview, just uh, one thing from last week, which I think is just worth dwelling on a little bit before we start, uh, was uh, the Chief Inspector of Constabulary, Andy Cook, uh, who is someone who I have a great deal of respect for and is very, very well regarded nationally in policing. He came out last week and made some very clear uh, comments around the very, very poor outcome rates for serious acquisitive crimes, so specifically burglary, robbery and theft. Very, very low levels of positive outcomes for that. Um, robbery, I think only 6% of robbery offences cleared up um, and prosecuted. Something like 4% of thefts in England and Wales, which is just um, absolutely shocking. So 96% of theft offences end in no action being taken against anyone, which is, you know, effectively you are decriminalising theft by doing that. So... I think what he's doing is really interesting and um, he's already made it uh, very clear that police should be focusing on crime, which is you know one of the core principles of policing, going right back to 1829, the Pelian principles, um, preventing and detecting crime, keeping the public safe. 
And uh, as I've said many times, the police have kind of lost their way in Britain. They're getting dragged into doing all sorts of things that have got nothing to do with policing whatsoever. And rather than pushing back against that and saying, I'm sorry, but this is not, we're not going to do other agencies work for them. Um, unfortunately, I've, I've made this point that many of the problems I think in policing in the UK are as a result of the terrible cuts to policing and resources and closure of police stations and the loss of uh, you know, all the police officers and 25,000 police staff, which put policing into a terrible uh, bind. But I think equally damaging to policing has been the failure of police leaders nationally to push back against the government, push back against the Home Office, the way the Home Office expect things to be done. Uh, lots of totally unnecessary bureaucracy and bean counting. Uh, as well as all of the other activities carried out by policing today, which uh, we shouldn't be doing, definitely not, particularly around mental health. Absolutely scandalous that the police spend 40% of their time dealing with mental health issues, massive drain on resources. Uh, you know, the fire brigade don't um, go around, um, you know, searching houses and arresting people. Uh, uh, equally, doctors and nurses don't do... Um, the work of the fire brigade. So why on earth the police end up de dealing with an awful lot of the work of other agencies is, uh, yeah, just needs to stop. So really interesting that Andy Cook has come out and said that. He's kind of put a stake in the ground. And of course, a lot of chief constables around the country will sort of say, well, hold on, um, you know, we don't really have time to do, uh, enough time to do criminal investigations anymore. And I think what, what Andy Cook is basically saying is, well, you need to find the time and and that means that you're going to have to stop doing a lot of other things that you're currently doing uh, to get back to those sort of basic core principles of of what the police are there to do. So, yeah, just watch this space with interest. I think he's given them till March 2023 to kind of pull their socks up. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it's going to be interesting just to, just to watch this one kind of playing out. Right. Let's get into the interview with Bob. Afternoon, Bob. Can you hear me? Good day. I can hear you. Can you Excellent. see me? Excellent. That beautiful Midlands brogue of yours, I can <laughs> hear. <laughs> I can't see you. You can't. Let me see. Da, 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 da. What's it doing? Oh, you're a techie. You should. You should. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Forget that. I'm a techie. I'm, I'm working on Apple because my computer wasn't wasn't playing. Oh. Right. You need to get one of your students to show you, don't you? Uh, they're all idiots. Start video. That will do it. Hey, there he is. Boom. There he is. Look at you. And behind you got me, your, you got I'm, your, I'm always watched. You got your Cov City T-shirt. You got your Cov City Cov shirt on. No, mate. No, mate. No, mate. What's, what's that? I'm not. I'm not. I'm, that's is that, that's is that breast football? cancer. West Ham. I was I was raised in oh, London. So oh, really? I only came back to the Midlands late. Oh bloody hell, mate! You've got uh, you got the uh, Lizzie HM HM Her Majesty right behind you there. It's always watching over me. It's interesting. I'm um, just show me around your room again because it's fascinating. It's uh, oh, what, where you are. Is, um, it looks it looks like it looks like you started building a stud wall behind you, and then gave up no, halfway. No, no. There's a stud wall because we're having. A front extension, back extension, 
and the stud wall is um, where the new boiler's gone. So right. coming round, uh, I've just been watching Boris. <laughs> yeah, well, we, can we can talk about that in a minute because it's funny. Yeah, um, clocks, watches, Bloody which are my, um, my passion. It's like it's like the watch is like all the clocks on the James Bond uh, villains <laughs> <laughs> command um, command room. I have I have beer. <laughs> large amounts of alcohol. Oh my I god! Have, um, I have Monty the dog who who doesn't move much. Um, I've cat food. I've a golf bag. Um, oh my god! It looks like I I think I think I think you're actually in a shipping container, aren't you? You're in a <laughs> <laughs> you're in a shipping container and you're you're being transported you've been transported been. somewhere you've no idea anyway listen good to have you on the podcast mate thank you for asking me and uh yeah well i'm just trying to think when the last time i saw you was i think i blagged a visit to um coventry university and mm -hmm. you showed me around the forensic computing oh, department yeah. didn't you yeah that you, that you were the head honcho of at that time wasn't it yeah bloody hell so you've had a really uh well come on so there's all sorts we can talk about um you know your police career obviously and um and then we'll talk about your forensic computing stuff and everything so yes yeah, so that was the last time i saw you and then there's a funny little story which i need to I need to remind you of before i forget because i'm reaching that stage in my life where i forget <laughs> i forget things very easily um so the first time I met you um, was uh, when I was going through the most horrific um, marital separation, which then led to a divorce. And uh, it was quite soon after we had separated, me and my ex had separated. So I was feeling thoroughly sorry for myself. And Clive, who was a previous podcast guest, Clive Burgess, yeah. who you know very well. I listened uh, to it the other night. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he invited me out to give me some welfare support, which basically involved getting me absolutely rat ass drunk, which is, uh, and you were there, and you were there in the pub that night, and I didn't really know you, um, and can I just say, <laughs> you were the most unsympathetic person I think I've ever met, actually. I'm a veteran of three divorces, so I've right. all the hard knocks. So it was just all like water off a duck's back, as far as you're concerned. I think at one point, I think you were being so cruel to me that Clive Clive had to intervene and say, well, Bob, must, Bob. It must have been good for Clive. Who, it's like, uh, Bob, for fuck's sake, can you knock it off? The blokes, can you not see he's in emotional turmoil? <laughs> well, oh. I've, I've lost none of that sensitivity, let me just tell you. <laughs> so listen, um, <clears throat> I shall describe um, you, and you tell me if I'm wrong. So you... Were a police officer? Did you you did your full thirty? Didn't you? Thirty years and one day. I miscalculated. I man. left on my anniversary, but it meant the pension department was put to one hundred percent more work. <laughs> Excellent. And uh, well, you know, it stops them from looking out the window. What was it? Someone said to me yesterday. He said is had a had a job that. Uh, oh yeah, it was one of previous podcast guests. He said he worked for uh, surveying department or something. He said he was his best his advice that he was given on day one was. Don't look out the window in the morning because then you'll have nothing to do in the afternoon. <laughs> Sounds stand advice. So you did 30 years, you finished up as a superintendent, yeah. and then you kind of completely reinvented yourself and you ended up going into 
uh, computer forensics and um like the academia as i yeah, refer to yeah 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 so yeah really interesting so so yeah so anyway policing um when did you join what year did you join <clears throat> i joined in um august of 1977 oh, bloody hell um so yeah i i in fact i was reflecting i'm from basically another era yeah. Uh, you're like a fossil living fossil i'm a living i'm a living for well i was said <laughs> when i felt i was the last dinosaur in jurassic park i thought i'd better leave <laughs> which i did i um i'd been at university uh aberystwyth studying history august uh, that august seat of learning yeah. yeah well yeah um when i was researching universities which was limited i found it had more pubs per head than the place in britain so i thought that sounds a place for me yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I came out with a Desmond. Right. Is that a 2-2, two -two, is it? A 2-2. Two -two. Um, but I had, weirdly, blagged myself onto the special course. Oh, so that's special course. <laughs> you'd, you'd obviously had a good you'd obviously had a good day, the day, the selection day. I, it was a three-day Eastbourne. I had a, an exceptional three days where I was just me, but I was I found out later. Um, a guy called Paul Wood, who was made. So that's except for people listening who don't understand what that is. That's sort of like accelerated promotion process, yeah. wasn't it? There were 20 selected uh, nationally. And weirdly, I was one of them. Um, but he said at the time, because he went through just after then, he reckoned that they were looking for questioning individuals, both in terms of behaviour, intellect, and um, generally not being the stereotypical police officer yeah, and you, i think you've, I you've, you've that. definitely you've definitely summed yourself up quite nicely in that single <laughs> statement <laughs> so yeah so i went straight from university um to um training center at Wrighton. right um it, I, I was going to say it's a culture shock in many ways it wasn't in that um at, at university i i didn't stereotypically follow it i actually quite liked the, the whole training thing and i'd um I had a couple of very good um, trainers. Who, um, one was a very serious guy, and the other guy from Leicester um, had a, a massively um, dry sense of humour. And we sort of hit it off. Yeah. He, he sort of said, you know, you're destined for high things, but I think you're going to have a problem. And I said, what's that problem? <laughs> he said, they're going to find you out. I said, well, that's always been my issue, being yeah, found yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I went to Chelmsley Wood, um, a very large housing centre, mm -hmm. um, which was ba basically Birmingham overspilled. They cleared mm -hmm. out the, um, the slums of Birmingham, and it was um, it, it was a great place to work. Had it, had it only recently been built? Fairly recently, sort of. Um, probably seventy four ish. Right, so, okay. Yeah, it was, yes, that's quite the new. new station, um, and it still had because, because bearing in mind. The um, amalgamation into 43 police forces happened in 73, 4, around then. Right. Um, and so at Chelmsley Wood, which um, was on the L division, so mm. there was Solihull, Hall, Chelmsley Wood, Solihull, Hall, very leafy, um, quite wealthy. Chelmsley yeah. Wood was um, a pimple on its bum. Yeah. And uh, the people had... are, it always makes me laugh because the people of Solihull hate the fact that Chelmsley. I think if they could if they could saw it off and, well, and, and, and put it on a on a low loader, they would do that, wouldn't they? Well I think they because they renamed it North Solihull to try and take away the um 
the uh, uh, the, the vision of this large housing estate, which uh, a sink estate, I think, is the, the yeah, term. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, on going there, it you had a large number of ex-county officers, so Warwickshire officers, and it had been Warwickshire and Coventry. And um, you you may re- well you may have heard the phrase. We West Midlands or the West Midlands Police Force, as it was mm. known at the time, yeah. was known as the Force of a Thousand Max. That's right. Yeah. Because in all of the forces that came together to to make it, when you went out at um, uh, football or major public order events, there are all these guys in different guys and there were females. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Other genders can apply. Yeah. Um, but we're all in different uniforms, and yeah. uh, there were some who. Um, quite religiously stuck to their previous county uniform. Right. So it was um, a real mixture. Again, it, this was pre-Edmund Davies, 82. So austerity, which um, I've heard you refer to, I, I joined in real austerity in that at that time um, you received the princely slum of £5.52 under Manning allowance, um, which recognised that um, the force was... The forces yeah, yeah, were yeah. ill-paid, um, and uh, essentially, you um, you came into uh, forces had no money, um, and uh, you know there's some quite anecdotes. similar lot of parallels to today. Then, really, I suppose, isn't it? Set we had shit uniform, right? So, okay, so uh, you n- of... no money but shit uniforms, well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> whereas, whereas some would say they've got shit uniform today as well, haven't they? But probably it's probably a lot more functional. They all wear the same yeah. one, but they all yeah. look like. Well, I think, sadly, it grieves me to say this, but you do see quite a few, don't you, on telly and social media, looking like what was it? Someone said um, security guards on a building site or something. Yeah. Well, I, I remember um, because um, at that time, going to training centre, it was quite militaristic. Um, mm. In that I was in, um, it's called H Block. So these were these were the old original refugee um, huts yeah. that had a single um, electric bar on the wall, which often didn't work. You yeah. used to have to box your bed every morning. So um, uniform, crisply pressed, mm. and it struck me when we went to um, the more functional uniform. Um, I said for years I've been trying to get officers not to have trousers which i call bus driver's trousers yeah. as in no creases yeah and yeah, yeah. now you're saying right every, everyone can look like a bag of shit but right, they yeah. are protected and they look the same blah blah blah, blah. But, yeah, yeah 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 so um quite an unusual career choice really in those days because there weren't many graduates around um did no. you have any family in the police or anything like that um i had a cousin um my cousin steve was three years my senior um, he he was at Bourneville Lane at the time, and I, I'd gone to see him. I, my um, my history: I was born in Birmingham. We followed the motor trade. So mm. when my, when my father worked for uh, the Austin, as it was known, till I was five, we lived in Rubery in Birmingham. Then um, at the age of five, he went to work for Fords at Dagenham. Mm. So uh, as a five-year-old brummy, I was bullied for being a brummy. Mm. Um, so from five to to 15 um i lived uh, near dagenham where you're a west ham supporter or you were hanging from a tree <laughs> and um i remember my, my dad coming back uh, coming home one day and uh, he'd noted that i would got very cropped hair i got um 
trousers that were were very crisp, and I had these bright cherry red boots. And he said, you, "You're looking very smart." And I said, "Yeah, yeah, so it's just the way it goes." And then he read in the Times about this phenomenon of skinheads, oh, and uh, I came home the next day to find my boots burning in the dustbin. Oh, really? <laughs> so you were a yeah. skin, you were an embryonic skinhead then? Oh, that was oh, a funny. It was a funny time. So, I mean, I was only bloody. But when you joined the police, I was only like 12 years old, for God's sake. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it was the days of punk, I suppose, yeah. and skinheads. And you know, the worst haircut ever, ever was skinhead girls' haircuts. You know, there's a, that awful kind a of like, yeah, mullet bit at the back and really yeah. short on the top and this yeah. kind of weird, feathered, feathered, weird feathered fringe thing going on. It was just <laughs> the worst, the worst yeah. hairstyle ever, wasn't it? But, yeah, wearing um, crumbly overcoats in summer. Yeah, it oh made a, a whole lot of sense. Oh, dear. Um, so, so, yeah, at 15, um, we moved to Solihull um, when he was headhunted by Rover. And I went to, I remember, I went to Tudor Grange Grammar School. So I went to I went to Dagenham County High mm. um, uh, in London, whose who's only real claim to fame was Dudley Moore. Um, right. He went there. And so met the headmaster, a guy called Sid Millward. And he said to uh, uh, my old man, he said, um, who the Grange and I had um, electrocution lessons right. so I could learn to speak properly. So they saw, saw I did right. for about 0.2 seconds. But um, I, I acquire accents depending on who's company in. And, and probably that that evening when I was being so supportive to yourself, <laughs> I was probably in a bit of a broader. You know, uh, we oh, in, you got a bit of a problem. Yeah, there, find another girl. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think it was as quite as supportive as that, as I recall. But um, no, yes. I mean, um, I was going to say the uh, so policing in those days. I mean, I yeah. joined in '89, so 12 years after you, yeah. and it was and it was pretty. You know, I wouldn't describe it as yeehaw policing, um, yeah. but it was certainly pretty unregulated, and yeah. there was a lot of um, fun and games. Um, a lot of um, uh, kind of making it up as you went along. Um, uh, the, the prevailing culture at that time was you don't put pen to paper unless it's absolutely unavoidable. Um, so what was it like? It must have been even more so than that in, um, in 1977, was it? Yeah, I mean, it, it, I guess it was a bit like the Wild West mm. in the... Um, as far as rules went, um, that you, you used to appear in court a lot more, right? As a as a as a, a witness and and or prosecutor. Um, so um, ambiguously, there was a lot of um, focus placed upon um, evidence gathering, evidence sufficiency, and you were you would um, I think uh, I heard Clive talking about process books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but you did go through an apprenticeship of learning how to do paperwork at that time um officers still did their own committal files yeah so you did learn and and certainly for for me i i i was on a in those days it depended on what shift you were on and i know that could happen latterly but on mine very strong sergeants a very um uh, per personable and strong inspector um Dave Green, unfortunately, died. Now he he um, went on to be chief sub complaints and discipline. Right. Uh, he he said to me, "Look, you're destined <laughs> for high things," and it, and he did he did mentor me, even mm. though I, I was 
challenging case to mentor. Mm. But you did get a, a, a really, really thorough grounding. Mm. And that bit you say about behaviour, on, on some of the shifts, uh, there were nightmares, absolute mm. nightmares. There were yeah. nightmares to take over from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On this particular shift, the, the highest accolade you could be given was being called a good thief taker. Yeah. Someone yeah. who had the acumen yeah. and the um, poacher term gamekeeper mm. attitude. Because it, it was, in those, and, and uh, again, I was, competitive, I was wasn't it? You, you, you never got the volume of calls because people mm. would have to, the vast majority would have to go to a, a telephone kiosk to phone. Yeah. So you never got the vast majority of calls. So on nights, once you got past 11, given that licensing hours, half 10, half an hour drinking, and apart from lock-ins, that was it. Mm. You had mm. no nighttime economy or whatever. Then from um, about 11 till 5 in the morning, 6 in the morning, you didn't get calls. Mm. So mm. What you do is you would go on the prowl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hunting, trying to find burglars, car thieves, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And the kudos you got then was about being a thief catcher. Mm -hmm. And I say, because we had um, a very strong inspector, um, there was a very strong drinking culture. And mm. certainly I remember newly promoted sergeants from Coventry come in. They would say, take me out to the pub. Yeah, yeah. And I'd go, what, what do you mean? No, no, I want to see if you know the licensees. I said, well, no, we've got a police club and the locals don't like us. And in Coventry, massive drinking culture, yeah. you know, at half past 10, they'll be getting pints in. And, and yeah, But yeah. At where I was, didn't happen yeah there was a massive drinking culture but it was an after work drinking culture yeah yeah, yeah. um so a, a very good grounding weirdly from that station a huge number of senior officers then right. um, it was like a kind of like a proving grind so to speak yeah but because because um it was out out on a limb it bordered mm. warwickshire pretty much left to its own no one it, it had no affinity with birmingham no affinity with Coventry, Solio didn't like you. Mm. So literally, it, it was this uh, little house on the prairie. Mm. At, um, but with, with good tutors and mm. good grounding, some tremendous people, tremendous work. Um, the CID were um, excellent. I mean, again, you talk about culture. There was only ever one detective policewoman in CID. Mm. And they said, well, I don't, don't know statistically how it happened. Bearing in mind, it's only probably four or five years from the policewoman's department, which was separate. Yeah. But you had, so you only ever had one policewoman um, on um, the CID and not many on uh, as um, um, on Beautiful. the shift itself. Very male. Um, but again, the the um, the culture there was was to back each other up. Mm. The worst thing you could ever be um shown to is hiding when when the yeah. shit hit the fan yeah yeah um but a, a tremendous grounding and yeah. you know the people are new there um still in contact with yeah uh, um and but but for me um i i had um a bike accident i was only 18 months service had a bike accident on what, on what, a, on what a bike um, you mean what is it it was a, a souped up moped i hit i hit a stationary arctic <laughs> and god knows how but i managed to hit one so I broke my leg, my arms, my jaw. Oh, in hospital for six months. On um, I, I went back early, working in the front office. But so I had twelve months 
of injury and not being there. And I, yeah. um, at, at that time, on the special course, you had to pass the science exam and then you yeah, yeah. were promoted and went to inspector. Well, I thought I'd get away with what I did at university, which was do for call, <laughs> do a bit of cramming and then get through. And I didn't. Yeah. So yeah. people had this expectation I was going to go because yeah. that I was, I was called the failed graduate. And as I tetchingly pointed out, I didn't fail being a graduate. Yeah. I just failed your shitty exams. <laughs> but um, this, is the police, was, this is the police exams. The police, the, yeah, the police promotion exams. So I said, look, no, um, having joined this job, whatever aspirations I had to um, progress, you know, they, they that's where there were aspirations. So they kicked, they, kicked you off the the job. they kicked you off the course then, did they? Yeah, kicked me off the course. course and I became normal again, which right. conversely, I quite like, I didn't like being the graduate in, yeah. in all honesty. Yeah. In fact, there was another guy who started with me, Martin Scarf, who was, um, he came from the RAF, but spoke quite well. Mm. They thought he was a graduate because I was known as a hooligan. Yeah. So I was quite happy with that. <laughs> I didn't I didn't want to be elevated and, and seen in that way. So, um, uh, yeah, so. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, I, I talk a bit about that in the book where I had the option of applying through that scheme and I went on this rather bizarre kind of familiarization uh, two or three days down in London. And it was very bizarre. And, uh, and I just looked at it and thought, I remember this old sort of, sort of very streetwise DCI in the CID office in Golders Green in London, who said, basically, I asked him the question and said, um, you know, what do you think about the accelerated promotion course? And he kind of looked at me, sort of, he sort of pulled a face as if a horrible smell had kind of wafted in through the window. And he said, well, he says there's a few good people on that, but most of them won't be cops as long as they've got a hole in their arse, you know. Yeah. And and there was an, an interesting, I mean, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because you know and I know that some really, really brilliant people came through on that course, really brilliant. Yeah. But some shockers did as well, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, and again, that um, I, I know, I know. Um, one of the areas we might get onto is politicisation, and, yeah. and I, I think stepping back from that, uh, and the reason uh, for me that um, there was never a question of was I going to go. Mm. Uh, that part of the problem was I loved the job, mm. I loved the shit, I loved the fighting, I loved the drinking, I loved all of that. Mm. Almost too much, mm. in, in all honesty. Yeah. And um, because I fell in love with that bit, it wasn't a great loss. I, mm. Because, yeah. um, you know, going out at night, flipping, hunting for burglars, fighting, mm. all of that was, was manner from heaven for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it was only sort of later, well, it, it was only, I think, um, I, I, I got, in those days, once you got past two years, mm. you were a veteran. Yeah. You know, I mean, again, they talk about what's the demographic of those um, in in the force in the next few years. Uh, and literally, I think there had been um, a demographic blip after the war where there were um, quite a quite a few ex-military running. And mm. then uh, with the ship pay, I mean, the, the um, anyone on the track at the Longbridge was taking far more money. And in fact, mm. you know, talk about um, perspectives. I remember when I joined. um there was a lot of talk about working to rule, about right to strike. I yeah. mean, 
again with some of them and said work to rule you'll have to work your work rate because you don't do fuck all but <laughs> yeah it, it was um quite got quite militant there, there were yeah. You know, what, well, again, you're seeing we're seeing that coming back again now, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. You I know. mean, there's nothing. My well, my, my degree was in history. History will teach us nothing, but you do see resonances and the cyclical nature of, of mm. society and stuff does hark back to you know many of these same things. So, um, so obviously, uh, um, you didn't, um, you know, getting kicked off the course didn't actually ultimately hold you back, you know. So. I mean, you still managed to get the superintendent in spite of all your, how shall we say, idiosyncrasies. Um. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember um, on one of my um, career appraisals, it had um, Bob has um, a rather singular sense of humour, which uh, it, he seems to spend most of his time trying to example it. Uh, I, 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 I do. I see life as funny. Yeah. Um, and um, I say you say about the things that uh, back in the, the day you get away with. I remember uh, um, a guy who worked with Bob Kearns, and we 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 had a great time. But we spent one whole set of nights, seven nights, um, telling everyone we stopped that we were um, transfer officers from South Africa. This is Rudy van der Kerkhoff. He is my friend. And now we are taking. And these people are looking at us. <laughs> so we were berserk, which we probably were. But we we had a great time. It was. Um, and it was yeah there were there were excesses of behavior that quite often were born out of him and it and it, in those days you know I, I i reflect on what they did you could have a sense of humor and you had blags mm. uh, and, and it's like um we, we had um there was an officer whose um moral turpitude was questioned and uh his lack of bottle was questioned right okay so um two in the morning we'd set up that there was going to be um, a report of a burglary at a social club. And we were all hidden around the back of the, the social club. Frank yeah. pulled onto the um, the car park. Someone threw a mattress at the car and he reversed off and, and drove off. Because it was, it was um, you know, um, we were test purchasing his honour. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, he, he oh, there was all sorts of strokes got pulled on them back in those days. I mean, officers' <laughs> cars getting getting twocked as i'd say so uh, yeah. getting nicked out of the yard by colleagues who would be driving past them whilst they're on patrol at high yeah. speed wearing balaclavas and all sorts of <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous things uh, yeah you know well, I, say, I, I think the um yeah you didn't get the way to calls and um so um unless you were of an active mindset boredom and uh, police officers and boredom don't it go is, together, do they? It's a very bad cocktail, <laughs> um, particularly in relation to where. Um, yeah, I mean, because it, it, it was um, it was the era of um, um, when, when new pro cons probationers joined. Uh, right, you need to get on top of the building. We, we are in emergency. You ought to uh, put a H for the helicopter to uh, to land. Mm. Here's twenty two bog rolls now. Do the H. It's got to be big <laughs> enough so it can be viewed from a thousand feet, and they'd be they'd do it. Um, but yeah, no, that's brilliant. So, I mean, you put you touch on an interesting point there, though, that you know, police officers on boredom do not go, they're not a happy bedfellows, are they? And no. the devil definitely makes work for idle hands, doesn't it? Um, but uh, I mean, I do think even going back to those days, you know, obviously you joined it before I did, but I think there was still that culture when I joined, people did know 
generally where to draw the line and yeah. um <coughs> and if they if they overstep the line someone either a senior pc or a experienced sergeant would um grab hold of them and go you need to so you need to wind your neck in sort yourself out um and and there would be um you know it, it was never allowed to go to the point where someone would be properly humiliated or uh you know criminal offenses being committed or anything like you know yeah. what i mean it was always done in good humor no in, in many ways you know if you were to <laughs> to qualify and, cla- uh, and and classify them they, they were team building They're, yeah yeah they, yeah, yeah. they were at the instigation or the supervision of sergeants the inspectors mm-hmm. um, i certainly remember um as a supervisor being involved in or or when people come, we want to do so-and-so, and it'd be, no, we're not mm. doing that. We can do X. Mm. And it was part of the initiation, not in a uh, exclusory sense, but more to become part of the team. Yes, there's a making the tea, but they don't know you. And you, you you get some kids come, some kids, some young young officers come who were desperate to impress. And mm. so they're over the top trying to impress. Mm. And it's like, no, no, calm down. Inclusion is earned. Mm. but so that there were um, as you say structured steps to do that um mm. that took but i do i do slightly worry i mean we'll come on to talk about you know where, where what you think has gone where the job has lost its way or whatever because i think everyone collectively agrees that is the case now unless you've been living in a cave for the last 10 years but um yeah my my fear is that uh, and i said this to a previous podcast guest that we're going to make the job so joyless and serious and everybody's going to be so terrified of of being reported by someone for saying something um that that has upset someone you know what i mean it only takes one person now to turn around and say i find what you said um uh you know objectionable i'm going to make a complaint whereas those people would have been I mean, generally speaking, as you know, if someone overstepped the mark, they would just apologise, wouldn't they? They would say, yeah. oh, I'm sorry, I didn't, I genuinely didn't mean to upset you like that. Um, so uh, there you go. Um, and if they were, and if someone was being just completely, ridiculously oversensitive, they would just be told to, to grow up, wouldn't they? Like, don't yeah. be so pathetic. This is emergent. we're working in the emergency services, you know, which bit of, which bit of difficult and distressing job are you not getting? So yeah. just chill the fuck out, you know? Whereas, yeah. um, I mean, what's your thoughts on that? Do you think we're going to make the job so unattractive to people that people just won't want to do it? Well, um, short answer is um, not in the way in which um, you and I regarded it, but it as a short-term career option, probably something that looks good on a CV, Mm. But it won't have the same ethos, mission, or sense of purpose, probably. Um, I mean, I think you sort of, you know, looking looking back and tracing the roots of where things changed. There, there were within my service things that quite definitely um, uh, were uh, progression. Police and Criminal Evidence Act in nineteen eighty four five. I remember being a custody officer at. Um, Bromford Lane, serious crime squad landed with some armed blaggers, um, and it literally 
because we didn't do much training then. I was thrown thrown a manual, and they said, uh, "He's not having a brief. These are fucking blaggers." And um, my response was, "Well, you need superintendent's authority for that. That's a new rule we've got. Yeah. So you you get me a superintendent, and uh, they will be denied their right to consult with a solicitor." Yeah. So some flipping shoddily dressed twat appears after two minutes on the fucking mm-hmm. superintendent. They ain't having a brief. And I said, you can fuck up out my cell block, not having it. Who yeah. side are you on? It's like, I'm on my side. And yeah. I'm actually on the side of fucking justice because, yeah. not that I was um, being sort of perceptive in this, I just saw it as there's no point. These are the rules. And was this someone who was just saying there was a superintendent? Uh, there were, he wasn't a superintendent. He, 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 some... he, was, he was one of the D's who, uh, <laughs> he, he probably looked less scruffy and less pissed than the rest of them. Um, but it, it, so you, you sort of, saw um things happen and and this is where you still had sense of purpose and whatever it was just a, a necessary change from judges rules to proper rules yeah yeah um but um it was that you know that the the ethos on on the shift and these were just response that mm. the um that was predominantly apart from what they call beat officers so on response um 210 was a nightmare when you could get through 210 because it was domestic, 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 fight, fight, fight. And then yeah. you would go up to a police bar and self-medicate. Yeah. But you would have debriefing. It might not have been structured debriefing and yeah, the council yeah. might be a bit was brutal. It, was it like the sort of debriefing? Wasn't... Was it like the sort of debriefing you gave me that night in the pub with Clive Burgess after Pretty my much, separation? <laughs> well, it, no, it was um <laughs> Well, if you were there with Clive, I'd probably judged it that you were at the same level of sensitivity that he was. So, um, uh, <laughs> no, I might, I might have been one of my brutal phases at the time. Um, but uh, yeah, it's funny because there was another chap there you might remember. I won't embarrass him by saying it was first name Mark, surname begins with P, lives uh, in your neck of the woods, and he was quite sort um, of quite straight laced and sort of quite. Corp, not corporate, yeah. but quite straight laced, and he looked absolutely horrified. At uh, <laughs> at one point, at one point, I think he came over to me and gave me some counselling at the bar and said, uh, "Are you okay, mate?" And I was like, "But oh. my bottom lip was starting to go." I was like, "No, not really." <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so anyway, so so you you became so you're obviously getting back to your career then. So obviously right. you become a sergeant. Um, well, I'll, I'll just I'll just rewind because yeah. uh, probably the most formative years uh were on the um osu so the operational support unit yeah which was the um the follow-on from the special patrol group yeah so i applied to the special patrol group in early 1983 and uh the force announced it was disbanding the spg yeah and didn't announce so we're doubling in size and call it the osu so in 1983 i joined the osu um and was on there till 86 when i was promoted to sergeant um and that was through um not uh, 84 riots minor strike and the blues lead riot so mm. in terms of public disorder which was mm. one of my career defining mm. skill sets if you like um right. I, I had the most um, amazing time of where public order tactics as we know now were yeah. were probably invented yeah, 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 yeah. And it's certainly... well, there was a lot of riots going on across the country around that sort of yeah. period, wasn't there? Yeah. Um, because you 
obviously it had the Brixton riots down in London and then Handsworth went up and was what, 84, was it maybe? 84, like yeah. yeah. And then there was very toxic and it was very, it was all going off, wasn't it, somewhere yeah. around around that period. And then you obviously, you know, slightly, a little bit later on, you had like the poll tax riots and all of this kind of stuff. So it was kind of rioting was kind of a bit of a sport in those days, wasn't it? Yeah, and public disorder. I mean, my, um, going back, 1977 when I joined, my first major deployment was uh, an anti-Nazi league march in Digbeth, mm-hmm. where the, the, the whole force mobilised. But in those days, we did a bit of right training in the back of Shirley Yard, and we had uh, a thin perspex shield that went over your helmet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had these long shields, but we didn't have very many of them. So... Um, when I went on to the the uh, the OSU or group as we called it, um, we were still mainly a long shields. We did have short shields, but they were for snatch squads. Mm. And it was only um, during Orgreave, um, during the Battle of Orgreave and, and days preceding and following it, that we developed short shield tactics mm. on the on the hop, on the hoof. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. From um, only having five on the van to everyone yeah. having one, and from then, never deployed with long shields. So the minor, so that's obviously the minor strikes. That was yeah. what was that? Eighty four was it? Eighty four oh. to eighty five. I spent. Yeah. I spent sixty five, seventy percent of the time out of force right. on daily deployment, weekly deployment. Yeah. Because um, the, for, the force that the force that got a terrible reputation on the back of the minor strike was obviously the Met, wasn't it? You yeah. Had these terrible stories of Met driving past, you know, striking miners, waving 20-pound notes yeah. out, out the window of the carriers and all of this kind of stuff. Uh, and, and people have never forgotten that, have they? Never. Um, As appeared in Sherwood in the, the, the recent yeah, drama. That, that's right. Yeah. Um, and from did you find the same sort of difficult relationship from the towards the West Midlands officers, or was that, was that an exclusively Met thing, do you think? I think it was the Met. It didn't help. The Met used to have these stickers with "You've met the Met," and yeah. they they appear and they appeared outside some places where they burgled them. So it, yeah, the the Met's behaviour was um, I didn't witness it personally, but from Westminster and certainly from from the, the, um, half the OSU would be deployed at any one time. They retained um, half um, in order to have the the capability mm. uh, back home. Yeah. Um, but no, we um, we were we we were welcomed by the host forces, mm. uh, not by the host miners. Uh, but it was a different relationship. Um, the the very early days deployed around Staffordshire pits, and again, talk about the piss taking. But well, there's called there's mines in Coventry, though, aren't there? Oh yeah, Kersley with yeah, uh, Dornhill. Yeah. Dornhill. So were, they, were those places striking as well? Yeah, they did. They had they had some um, South Wales pickets up, but. Um, Basically, whether it be because of their location or whatever else, um, numbers were limited. Right. They had to push and the shove, and we nicked a few, and they decided it wasn't the place mm-hmm. they wanted to do. So Warwickshire um, didn't feature. Staffordshire, they tried a bit there, but again, there, there wasn't much support among Staffordshire miners, mm-hmm. uh, even less in Knotts, where mm-hmm. the Union of Democratic Mine worked. That was where deployment really started. Mm. Um, and um, it was again. We talk about uniform and kit. We had shit raincoats and shit bands. 
um, stuck in the middle of nowhere, cold, wet. It's, it's, well, it's, called, first, it's character building, Bob. Oh, yeah. Well, the, the first um, the first uh, week away, as in overnight deployment, we were at a place called Proteus Barracks. Um, and again, they, they were the same huts I did police training with, but with less heating. Mm -mm. And um, we, we basically were at 24 hours. We were always being called out. And it was character building. There was a huge amount of overtime. Mm. Um, I got my first house deposit through it. Um, Scargill Towers um, came <laughs> as a result of, uh, of that. Um, but it was as as we moved into um, Orgreave, um, West Mids, uh, certainly with South York, they had a similar group to us, the Crime and Vandal Patrol. Mm. Um, uh, but we had quite a big rivalry with them. And one of the commanders, John Nesbitt, Nezzy, uh, South Yorkshire um, chief sucked. He got to know us um, and got to like to use us. So we mm -hmm. we were uh, deployed with South Yorkshire Crime and Vandal Patrol um, at Orgreave on the front line and then as snatch squads and whatever. So we, we went, um, and I think at one time, 80% of the prisoners all grieve were West Midlands, OSU. Oh, really? Uh, oh, yeah. Because, and again, um, I can I can remember a number of occasions bringing back prisoners through lines of police and then other police officers trying to um, assault them and we would protect them because we didn't want damaged prisoners. We got yeah, yeah. legitimate arrests that we want to take back. But yeah. I think for, um, you might have heard the, the, the phrase, we on the group, we referred to divisional officers as cardboards, cardboard cutouts. Right. So the cardboards, whenever you went to the football and were fighting, the cardboards would be on the corner yeah. looking, not wanting to get involved, whereas we were involved. Yeah. So we'd have to take prisoners through the cardboards, and the cardboards all suddenly got a bit got a bit punchy and wanted to uh, land yeah. one. They had a bit of a bravery. Um, bra bravery, yeah, bravery yeah. So, um, yeah, at Orgreave, um, it was where we developed the free running line. So we were um, in, in deployed in long shields. Someone said Sarge. We thought they said charge, and we all fucked off of the hill with the long shields. <laughs> and they, from there, the free running line was developed. Right. In long shields as a, as a fast, rapid movement. But it was more the short shield stuff we did um, at the Battle of Orgreave, um, where, again, I mean, anyone anyone who's listened to this who really is doesn't really understand this. It's worth just googling or going on YouTube and just go on YouTube and just uh, put in uh, Battle of Orgreave, O R G R E A V E. Um, yeah, it was pretty pretty bad, wasn't it? If uh, there's, I actually did quite a few interviews in uh, when I was in my academic career. So um, on Look North, um, Dan Johnson interviewed me a couple of times where I described a historical perspective on it, because he, his, um, his question was, why all grieve? Um, and I said, well, I don't think there was a meeting between Thatcher and Scargill, but I certainly think that um, Scargill thought that they could um, repeat what they'd done at Saltby Gate. So again, for the, for the benefit of those listening, um, Saltby Gate, um, early 70s, the miners had stormed Saltby Gate mm. and basically the government collapsed um, and uh, gave in to their pay demands. And officers that I'd um, 
worked with, Saltley Gate was in was seared into their memory mm-hmm. because they lost it. Mm-hmm. And then when we were uh, going to Orgreave, we were pretty much Saltley Gate's not going to happen. We mm-hmm. we were beaten then, even though I wasn't in the job then. But that's mm-hmm. not going to happen. So yeah. you got this um, the village of Orgreave, a big massive field, and then the coking plant, mm-hmm. um, and then the the alleged intention of the um, striking miners was to prevent the coking lorries getting out. Well, actually, they gathered on the field and mm. were allowed to gather on the field. And the, the sort of context to this was there were cases going on at uh, court where um, in Kent, 10 miles away from a pit, they were stopping people and charging with obstruction mm. because they didn't want them to go there. At all grieve, they were directing the coaches in. Mm. So it was quite clear that the intention was this was the battleground. Mm. And the whereas before at um, at Orgru, uh, sorry at um, Saltley Gate, it was force of numbers against mm. police lines that were linked, arms linked, mm. um, and there were some injuries, but they were main. I think there were a couple of bobbies who broke ankles during that. Yeah. With this, when they tried to breach the lines and then were deployed with long shields, they weren't able to push against. So then it went mm. to more missiles, blah, 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 yeah. and then offensive police tactics. Yeah, I mean, it's when you watch when you watch that footage, um, you know, of all those years ago, the only thing the only thing that would turn it into a full blown medieval battle would have been if you'd given people swords and yeah. sort of um, balls and you know chains, and so it would have. In, a, in every other respect, it was like a medieval battle, wasn't it? I, I described us as the Roman phalanxes mm. and the, the miners, the Visigoths, attempting mm. to break through <laughs> because, you know, visually in my head, that's how it, and, you know, some of the training we did were like Roman phalanxes. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, it perfectly fitted that sort of description. Mm. Listen, I'm conscious of time, so we need to move okay. on to further bits in your career. So obviously you become a sergeant, described um, being doing your penance in the custody block, and, and yeah. then obviously an inspector. So how long did you spend as a sergeant? I was three years as a sergeant. Um, I went to Bromford Lane. Um, I did some penance in the custody block. I spent most of it with a proactive team of 10 um, in Lee Village, a place you may remember. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Lee Village um, was a, um, a Birmingham housing sprawl that had a lot of car thieves um, and a lot of general criminality. It's a bit um, like a Birmingham version of Chelmsford. Yeah, yeah, a bit like. Predominant, so, uh, predominantly white. Predominantly white and predominantly anti-police. Mm. So there have been a lot of attacks on police, police cars have been stoned. So I was given the job of gently village. So <laughs> have a mini OSU, have 10 young lads, mould them. And, and so we gentled uh, Lee Village. Mm. And I became um, a police trainer then. Right. I did a um, trainer's course at Harrogate, one of the best courses I ever did. Mm. Uh, a lot of it about the psychology of learning and education. I was at Wrighton for about six months till... Mm. Um, I just got through to inspector and I've been ever so good staying out of shit, which for me was, was good. Impressive. In fact, I remember the, the students at Wrighton, um, they used to wait for the morning um, announcement for me to uh, 
attend the commandant's office for another bollocking. It helped at the time. There were three Sergeant Birds at, um, at Wrighton. Les Bird, Big Birdie, me and Little Birdie, Nigel Bird. I remember Nigel coming back one time, one time saying, I think I've just had a bollocking for you. I said, well, I have too many, mate. You, you have one. That's all right. We're all Westmids. I said, I'm sharing them out. Um, so, yeah, I'd done, we'd gone up to Hutton Hall in Lancashire to teach a satellite course because this was explosion of training, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I'd just got through um, my inspector's interview. And I suppose this is around the time when the money started to get better, I suppose. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, this post-Edmund Davies. Big, uh, big influx of people big coming in. Big influx of, of, of uh, recruits. We were training loads, loads. Mm. And so um, one of the lads said, why don't we have a quick lager reception to mm. um, celebrate your success? Well, it went downhill from there, really, <laughs> where uh, the, the staff had invited us to a cheese and wine party which I'd misinterpreted, and I thought it meant you head a bottle of uh, Merlot, yeah. neck a, a pound of Gouda, and then generally make an arse of yourself. So I found myself back in force, and the, the investigation of the story characterised it as a, um, a catastrophic o uh, overreaction to hijinks. I must have had a senior officer who loved me because I would have been binned in most places. <laughs> Um, so I was. Um, you'd be a, you'd be an ideal uh, deputy chief whip for the signs. Uh, I think. <laughs> I believe <laughs> well, there's a I believe there's there a vacancy none, there there's a vacancy going on at the moment. Touching. I might touch myself a fair bit, but no, there was none of that. <laughs> so I went into training development, which is where I got my first acquaintance with technology, um, and something we will touch on. I met um, a very good friend of mine called Russell May, who was uh, he um, he set up the first. Um, um, what do we call them now? Digital forensics units, like high tech crime. You know, high tech it? crime. Right. Russ, Russ had got the first from Birmingham that he did um, in the job in computer science, and uh, he's forgotten more than I'll ever know. He, yeah. he's, he's guru. Anyway, so I was I was um, exposed to computers, and I got a bit of interest anyway. But it was something that then stuck with me. Um, so I went then as an inspector out to Coventry um, and uh, with Stony Stanton Road was there again. I was there during the 81 riot there at Woodend. Allegedly, me and another XOSU inspector started it by um, giving the locals um, a bit of a hurry up. Um, and I went from there to um, the uh, promotion assessment unit. So there's a guy, Tommy Farr, ex-detective chief sucked. So me and him for two years um, wrote all the promotion processes up to and including rank of superintendent. Right. But they're all, well, they're, my, the stuff I did was, was all cognitive around non-police um, exercises. So discussions, problem solving, because the idea was that you get um, potential police supervisors whose mindset was a bit wider sort mm -hmm. of man or person management, you might find that strange here, yeah. um, that, that, that looked at the complexities of what you're doing and tried to identify individuals who had the capability mm -hmm. and uh, potential to fulfil those ranks. Yeah. It'll never catch on, Bob. Never <laughs> catch on. <laughs> well, no, they, they, they binned it. <laughs> After a couple of years, that's interesting because I, I he's saying we 
We've seen these before, you know, the Candace superintendent, the, these are the ones that scored highly. We've seen these before. We don't need to see these. Oh, fine, okay. Yeah. So it was not, but it was it was a time I I briefly also had an input into a management um scheme that they had then. Um a, a good a good friend of mine, John Colston, he'd been tasked with um managerial development for middle and senior ranks and yeah. again wasn't going to get because if you if you sort of think of it it's it's uh, it was a, um with a background of uh police officers are two-dimensional um we were talking about this burgeoning world of other agencies multi-agencies yeah. um, man management person management whatever management and it was we need a different skill set. We don't need the supervisors of the 70s and early mm. 80s who were more of a militaristic and a very yeah. tap. They 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 wanted individuals who had um, much more of a skill set. So I yeah. I had a fair bit of um, input into that. Mm -hmm. So you so your um your career obviously uh you ended up um you know going further on up the the greasy pole. So yeah. let's talk. Let's talk a bit about how policing changed from that very sort of bit, a bit of make it up as you go along, um, but with the over, with a very clear understanding of what you were there to do. So I always think of that. Whilst you had a lot of a lot of freedom to uh, operate as you saw fit, the overarching mission was always about catching the bad people and protecting the good people wasn't it yeah um yeah. so when did you sort of start to see that mission for want of a better word um change to the point where you know people's uh, priorities started to shift in other directions um uh, it was it was it was around Blair. Mm. Um, certainly, uh, I, I'd been chief inspector in training by now, um, but had been um, what I characterise as subject to a corporate shafting. Uh, right. The director of personnel, Pod, Prince of Darkness, and I <laughs> fell out massively. Yeah. And uh, I was rescued by Chris Duffield, who took me into community services. Oh, bless him. Um, and I got a task of... Developing, designing, implementing multi-agency training. Right. So part, part of the whole Crime Disorder Act was about how do you bring agencies together. So I, yeah. I was tasked with um, identifying how we get health, education, social services, the council mm. into a multi-agency setting yeah. um, and um, got them to recognise that the... The problems that the police were dealing with, whether it be crime or again, part of part of that question of of when did we go from mission around criminals catching them? That's what we do. Was probably the the the, the Blairite tough on crime, tough on the causes of crime, because the point being, however good we were at catching criminals. Because mm. the socioeconomic conditions that produce criminals weren't going to change, and I'd, I'd, I'd seen generations of families of criminals where, um, and, and certainly going back to my very early days, um, some of the stuff he used to try and do when you knew the families 
was try and dissuade the next generation mm. from getting involvement in it. But you mm. had to be, uh, they had to trust you, they had to, and, and that was hard in itself. But um, so when I was at um, uh, a rank where it was right, how do we do it? Then mm. it was, well, we, we need to look at what, what are the issues. And it, 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 and it always was that um, whilst we were doing all that stuff with criminals and catching them, we were doing a lot of, uh, with people who were um, on the dole, mm. who were referred to social services, who were excluded from school. And so part of the vision was, well, actually, if we talked together and did some joint problem solving, mm. then there might be some wins. Mm. And see, I don't think that the the progression from mission around crims to mission around solving crime, mm. solving the problem of crime, mm. uh, were, were necessarily um, ambiguous. No, no, nor do I, nor do I at yeah. all. I think the two go very happily hand in hand. I yeah. think, I and, think and, it, it would be, it, it's the old, that old thing, isn't it, about um, don't, don't keep mopping the floor. Yeah. Um, figure out how you're going to turn the tap off, you know. And and, it, and, and yes, I mean, it's jumping a bit forward, but I then, uh, as a superintendent, I did work in Warsaw um, with probation, which was meet and greet before prisoners left um, prison. If they needed a drugs prescription script, they'd get one the day they came out. Because all the work we'd done around um, car crime said, a heroin addict will, will screw 25 cars, develop um, enough radios or CDs or whatever they were in order to buy their hit for the day. And so it was right. If we can take them away from the environment, give them supported housing, maybe mm. they wouldn't commit crime again. So mm. long, long way of going around saying the mission changed when we started doing stuff with other people, mm. our partners, um, and convincing them that crime wasn't all about the police. Mm. But you also had to not necessarily convinced the police that their job wasn't all about crime, because in essence, when you looked at it, if you looked at where the increases in calls came, the phrase that's often been used is um, the police to uh, society's adjustment, all of the issue. And so care in mm. the community, when, when you cease to have asylums, then surprise, surprise, you have mm. mental health um, appearing in cell blocks mm. uh, like a rash. Yeah. And so the, whatever the political involvement part of it was a societal change in terms of the uh, the things that were dealt with before badly or otherwise but in different ways when it became a in the community thing and we try to say right the community's got to help us um that that fundamentally mm. changed the way in which things happened yeah so my so my um and i i agree with what you've just said um my experience and observations and also what a lot of people have said to me over the years is that it was around that time that you described when multi-agency working was the big became the big thing didn't it um yeah. and partnership working it was the big buzzword wasn't it if you yeah. you were never going to get promoted to do anything unless you banged on constantly about partnership working yeah um but what I think has happened is that because we at that time stepped into so many areas of public se sector life yeah. that was not about policing, 
yeah then surprise surprise a lot of those people from those other parts of life just dumped their risk at our door yeah. and and i think we uh, and there's also there's other stuff there about you know withdrawal of funding to those agencies particularly under this current government i think um but it felt to me whenever i was in a multi-agency meeting of any of any sort who won almost 90 percent of the actions of that meeting oh yeah the old yeah. bill wasn't it it was the old bill who who ended up taking away who, who kind of ended up doing everything and and because and i get it because there, we've got this mentality of very much doers aren't we very yeah. much um you know we just get on with it don't we and well and I, it, it was it's uh, because we're task orientated yeah and because um I, I don't know there must be something in the psyche that's that um for those who are proactive about it it's like deal with the problem once i don't want to deal with it again so mm. what i'm going to do is try and find the effective solution and do it yeah and part of that multi-agency, I mean, I, I, I will say that I had um, a slightly different perspective on it. We did uh, in in Coventry. Um, Coventry is a much is a much more cohesive place to police than say Birmingham. Birmingham mm. Birmingham's huge. Coventry, being a bit self-contained, we did uh, multi-agency. Ta- we started multi-agency tasking there. And actually, we did get others to do it. So housing would deploy cameras mm. because around their problem tenants and antisocial behaviour, we had a joint interest. Mm. And um, uh, I found there were elements within housing, within health, within education. Because, again, part of that bit, I was involved in education action zones. So you were talking to head teachers about And they were quite happy to please come. So I don't think it... it it all was directed to an area where it's just the police, in my humble opinion. But it did mean that where you did meet in activity or when you met in transigence from organisation, it made it exceptionally difficult then. Mm. Because having gone down that track of we do this, mm. then one, it takes up time. You have to follow through your commitments. So where mm. we were saying, right, neighbourhood team, they will do X. Then if you didn't do it, they wins like fuck. Mm. If they didn't do it, and mindset was, or my mindset was, don't moan at people what they can't do. Just try and bring them along. Bring, mm. You know, incrementally show what we will do for them. Yeah. Because it's part of our bit anyway. So it, I think it was it was a bit more complex than that. It, mm. it was it wasn't wholly that agencies wouldn't do stuff. I, I met individual. What it does come down to, I've, I've met a lot of individuals in the police who were in transition. I've lot, mm. I met a lot who weren't, yeah. but I did meet some similar-minded individuals in social services where you, where they where they had a shared view. Now it always helped, like with social services in Coventry, they're under special measures. So when an organisation's in the shit, they look for anything that's going to assist, and was able to do some really good stuff around mm. missing children, children's homes mm. that were horrendous. Yeah. But they so they they engaged with it. So. Yeah. It, I think you had to have common purpose. And sometimes with agencies, they found it difficult to have common purpose. Yeah. And around that, around that time, as you know, um, so not only was there a massive emphasis on partnership working, which, you know, is it, as I said, I think it's a, it can be a double-edged sword sometimes. Yeah. Um, there was also the 
massive ex exploding of performance measurements yeah. and metrics yeah. around what we did which which ended up driving all sorts of weird behavior didn't it yeah yeah i mean the um They'd obviously heard of CompStat from the States where a commander would be invited in and would be asked to explain a problem. And then they'd put behind him all these damning statistics of how crap they were. Mm -hmm. So there, there was um, certainly a performance era when I was a DCI where um, it was just about numbers, 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 numbers. Mm -hmm. uh, so tasking. I, I mean, again, not all of it was bad. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I recall in Woodend, um, the, the good thing about Blair was the way in which they put money to support. So mm. there were burger initiatives, there were there were um, vehicle crime initiatives, robbery initiatives. But the the multi agency bit to that was we got agreement with the um, how it was a council then become a housing or authority on who they wouldn't put in places. Mm. So in Woodend, they had 45% vacancies, but mm. we got them to agree they wouldn't put vulnerable, they wouldn't put single mother, because they would be, by their nature, they were vulnerable and they'd be increasingly yeah. vulnerable. But we also had burglary money where we were doing target hardening on it. And we went from a, a massive burglary problem to one that was so reduced it was un, unreal. And that's where the joined up thinking of agencies doing stuff together mm. rather than acting in ignorance, yeah. I thought had, had merit. Yeah, we yeah. were still locking up criminals. And mm. uh, I mean, with burglary, because again, it wasn't in isolation. You got three strikes if you're out. From 2000, you got DNA. So burglary is a risk activity mm. where, mm. where the, the chances of you leaving something of forensic value massively mm. increase. So Burglary. We went. We were, I remember we went from over a thousand house burglaries um, a month in Coventry mm. to going between three hundred to two hundred and fifty. Mm. And th these were, you know, not insurance claims. These were proper burglaries. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, oh no, I remember because that was around. That was probably around the time whenever I arrived in Coventry as a sergeant, and there was a, a relentless focus on things like burglary and car crime, yeah. wasn't there? And yeah, I mean, if someone, uh, if if you got a DNA hit back on uh blood or uh whatever or fingerprint id or whatever yeah. if you didn't have that person in in the in, in 24 the, hours in the cells within 24 hours someone yeah. was going to rip you in your arsehole weren't they yeah yeah and and to be fair well it, it did have a bit of a pointed focus but it it, it was one where um you speak about mission to me that was that was not about the numbers it was it was the disproportionate amount of pain burglars caused mm. in home invasion. And, and I, I saw that really as, it was part of that primary mission. People not having their houses invaded, primary mission. Getting burglars off the street was primary mission. Mm. And the whole bit around it again was, my, my only argument around it was, uh, in focusing on crime types, then the chances for either displacement, displacement activity or displacement. It's a bit like um, with drugs. When they, took the, um, when they took the focus away from cannabis mm. onto class A, mm. cannabis fucking bloomed, mm. uh, figuratively and um, yeah, in yeah, agricultural yeah, sense. Literally. So again, the, the problems with, with the targeting is what gets measured is what gets done.
Yeah. And it's it's that perverse dislocation activity, rather than looking at holistic crime, looking mm. at criminality and seeing how disproportionately it impacted on areas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The robbery target. I've got a, I, robbery is not our problem. But mm. uh, I mean, you'll, you'll remember the days where um, um, because of Home Office crime recording standards, um, if someone reported a robbery, it's a robbery. Mm. So the fact at the time, if you um, if you tried to report uh, an iPhone lost mm. um, uh, for insurance purposes, they would only pay out if it's taken by force. So boom, we had a load of reports that um, yeah. iPhones have been robbed. Yeah. And you'd have to get CCTV to prove a crime didn't happen yeah, and then yeah. give a fixed penalty to them. Yeah, so yeah. The, the, the perverse impact of focus, unless it's understood, mm. it, it is what made many of the knee-jerk reactions so mm. extreme. And that's where, um, certainly for me, um, tasking, I was, I was never part of the woulda, shoulda, coulda brigade. Mm. If people had um, uh, a reasonable um, rationale, fine. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna slag you off. Mm. But um, I remember others. It's like, where's the detections? Where's the detections? I'm going. You don't fucking invent them. That's the path towards the dark side. Yeah. If we are working towards and we're targeting and the packaging's right and the ease there, the evidence is there. Yeah. Then it will follow through. But you don't do that by, yeah. you know, bludgeoning staff. You do it by working them as, oh, yeah. as a team and getting it to happen. Oh, yeah. No, I can remember, uh, you know, I can remember certain sergeants absolutely quaking in their boots before going into morning tasking and things like that. If, they, if their particular patch had been given a really good tatering overnight, you know. But anyway, by, by some uh, remarkable stroke of, of skill on your part, I'm, I'm sure, you then become a superintendent, don't you? So that, uh, on that the seventh, seventh occasion, that seven, you went for seven times. They did. They uh, as um, you just, McCrath, you just wore them the, down, did you? He was in personal. She said, "Bob, they've run out of questions." <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the weird thing was, I'd um, I was on um, the MRU murder, murder investigation unit, and I loved it. It was pure detective stuff. Um, and um, I remember I, I was uh, I, I'd done the interview, good interview, and I got a phone call. And in my mistaken head, because the Prince of Darkness had phoned me on five different occasions to tell me I hadn't got through, he came on the phone and said, Oh, fucking hell. Uh, yes, hello. Uh, Bob, um, good news, you got through. It must have killed him, must have killed oh, him. He would, he would, oh, he would. He, he, he would. He must. He must have had a lorry load of flipping Rennie or what's coming for him. Um, so um, yeah, I, 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 uh, Chris Sims phoned me and said, uh, "Good news and bad news." Um, but bearing in mind, I, I lived uh, south of Coventry at the time. Um, you get promoted, uh, and you're going to Blockswitch. I said, oh, right. "Well, I just looked. I couldn't be further from home." Anywhere you want to send me. It's like a punishment, isn't it? It's like we're going to punish you for being successful in your promotion board. Yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so did you travel to block? I did. I did. In fact, the, the um, you'd have to set off at four o'clock in the morning every day. We'll uh, we'll pay the toll road for you. And so, uh, if I came out of my office, I could I could look up and see Junction Ten, and if I could see the tops of the wagons, I'd go the toll road. So yeah, there was no point getting on the M6 if you weren't on there at seven. So I was in early and went home late. Um, but a block, um, total. 
And again, you talk about disparity of things and resourcing through uh, anomalies. Um, H2, as it was, um, had the same crime as Stony Stanton Road. Mm. It had 150 more officers than Stony Stanton Road. It had um, in in its worst station better facilities than Stony Stanton Road when I worked. Mm. And uh, so, I mean, it was it was easy. You talk about tasking there because um, you had so many resources. It, it it was easy, easy. You have to figure out what the hell they're talking about. Though, they're all speaking a yeah. funny language. Well, no, yeah. my um, uh, the secretary come at the uh, the door and go, "Oh, Mister Bird, I'm going out the road for a set." I've said, "What did you say? Go back. <laughs> Don't sing the extra vowel in and, and sing it. I might get the tune." But yeah, yeah, very very strange. To- totally totally different. Um, and then with. With typical perversity, the, the chief said, um, uh, where do you want to work then? I said, well, I'll work anywhere because I'm further away from home here. So they, they posted me to um, to chase, work to work with Clive. Oh, brilliant. Where, um, because we both had, we were known as the Mitchell brothers <laughs> from the extenders. But it was, it was, it was weird. But me and him, it was a dream partnership. And although Clive could be a bit pointed, I think, um, and I've, I've had it with this, a heart. lot of staff. His heart's it, in the right it. place, though, isn't it? Yeah, no. You talk about focus and mission. Mm. We we had a focus on the mission and um, took the staff with us in doing it. Um, so you're the, the you're the nicest chief superintendent in the world, Chris Stuffield, then, presumably, did you? Well, no, Chris had gone. It was, it was who inherited um, that mantle. And, and I do think I, Chris Duffield probably is not one of the nicest human beings I've ever met. I say he did. He, he saved me. I was I was out in the wilderness, and he said, "I'll give him a job." Um, and he, he used to sit me down, and um, it's like I an, act, an, act, to, an act an act of self flagellation taking you it, on, it, wasn't it? It's funny before um, before I decided to go, I thought, right, I'll um, I'll stick him for chief sucked. And um, he saw me. He said, "Bob, you need to tone down the mud." He said, mad. People think you're mad. Tone down the mad. I said, Chris, you know I'm not mad. He said, I know, but you can't help yourself. You have to make people think that you're mad. I said, I don't. They just think it. I do the odd thing that's a little bit strange, but there you go. Vive la défense. But uh, superintendent is where you were destined to stay. Listen, conscious of time, we need to get yeah. into um, the last sort of 15, 20 minutes. Just talk about Academia. your forensic computing, because that was, I must admit, what that day when you showed me around the department at Coventry University where you were the head, um, it was pretty impressive. He had some pretty clever people there. So how mm-hmm. on earth did you get into I mean, you told me like you'd had your interest peaked some years before around the interaction yeah. of high-tech crime units and all that kind of stuff. But you obviously like went massively large on all this stuff, didn't you? Well, I did um I I'd uh... My view of being a police officer was you'll retire at 30 and do something else. Mm. So I, um, from my interest in computers, I'd been a software beta tester for a graphics company called Corel. Mm. Um, and I'd sort of developed that. I'd, um, I'd developed what became known as the briefing system, which was the first intranet in the UK. I've been over to Canada. Corel used to give us brief. And I saw this thing and thought, right, we're going to um, small stations we're getting away from um, a collator's paper bulletin and we need a way of getting out information mm. photograph. So I did, um, uh, I did a presentation for, uh, I can't remember the OCC, 
were brought into um, IT services and then we rolled it out in three months and invented an intranet. So mm. I'd always had a techno bit. Yeah. And then um, prior to retiring, someone who'd been um, a sergeant of mine was at Coventry University said, um, we want to have a new degree, wet and dry for forensics. Will you be the consultant? So mm. um, I did. Mm. Uh, then when I retired, I started working um, part-time mm. there, uh, got bored, um, was incessantly shouting at Jeremy Kyle on, uh, <laughs> on daytime TV. So I did a master's in forensic computing. Um, but as a parallel, my, my mate Russell had retired from the police, had worked for guidance and then for um, Access Data, who did forensic software. So I became mm. the sorcerer's apprentice, right. became a bit of a contract trainer. So I did the forensic software that way. Following my master's, um, that was with a different part of the uni. They then offered me a job and said, look, will you uh, set up forensic computing? So I did. So um, they did an ethical hacking course, and I did the forensic modules for that. So I've been picked up from Russell, having become um, more than competent with the software, um, we designed an academic course that had a very investigative basis. So um, emphasis on record keeping. Um, my favourite quote was um, one of, um, um, what's his name, the civil rights lawyer, Michael Meacham? Anyway. Michael, Man Michael Mansfield. Mansfield, Mansfield. Uh, and that was, if it wasn't written down, it didn't happen. Yeah. And so it was document, document, document. Um, and I, I got very successful at it. The Not not in forensics, funnily enough, but security firms, because most of my students did ethical hacking. So this is how do you defend against hacking. Yeah. Um, but because of the forensic bit, um, they got um, taught about data recovery, but taught about how to investigate. Because at my mm. My rationale to it was um, you're going to be because uh, people said, oh, you'll be doing about the police and the whole bit about um, having retired from the police. I didn't want to do stuff about the police. Mm. I was quite happy with my career. I wanted to do something different. Yeah. Um, and to that extent, it was in that um, I made everything about corporate investigation, not mm. said crime. I don't give a shit about yeah. Corporate investigation. So if you are a, um, a security uh, or network administrator in a large company um, and there is suspected wrongdoing, some mm. are damaging data, stealing data, whatever, the likelihood is that at, um, if they are um, sacked in an employment tribunal or an internal tribunal, they will be defended by a QC. Mm. So what you need to have is the mindset of how you gather evidence, so it's mm. uh, robust, record it, because no one else is going to back you up, and you're able to present it. So mm -hmm. we got very successful. I mean, I went from, when I started there, we had cohorts of 30 students. When I left, it was 180 a year, all paying nine grand a year. Right. Um, so, um, and you hit it, at, you kind of hit it at the right time, didn't you, really? Because, yeah. you know, that was a massively expanding sort of area of oh, expertise yeah. and the demand, I suppose, for those people was. And still is. Uh, massive, when, I, when I first started, um, parents would come with their prospective students and uh, to this ethical hacking course. And uh, will they get a job? 
And I said, they'll get a job. And now no one asks about it. They, they start, um, the average is 5K higher than um, other graduates. And mm. in, there's still um, massive demand. But so mm. for me, being I was um, techie anyway, mm. and I was given free run, it was brilliant, great. Mm. Uh, was yeah, no, it was certainly very impressive. Whenever I you showed me around, that was very impressive. There was more technology than you could shake a stick at, and and a very uh, a very swanky um, sort of campus as well. I mean, it was all oh, very yeah. very well, super, that was for me. super that was, modern. You don't get the campuses. Well, you don't get those buildings. I mean, that that costs an enormous amount of money. Yeah, but, yeah I mean, yeah. if you couldn't teach there, you can't teach anywhere. Funny yeah. enough. When I, when I um, completed my Desmond Tutu in history, I swore the last thing I was ever going to do was bloody teach. <laughs> and now it, was, it was the last thing I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, the police technology, I mean, I said this is probably another whole podcast and all of this, but obviously the police as an organisation, law enforcement, their um, track record, for want of a better word, in keeping up with all of this stuff has not been good, has it? Yeah. And are no. now they're paying the price uh, in terms of seeing their workforce very um, de-skilled. Uh, they haven't got the tools at the disposal to do very often the simplest things. I mean, I'm hearing some absolutely shocking stories about frontline cops having to go and record victims' mobile phone screens using their body-worn video, for God's sake. I mean, what the hey, hell is going on? It's uh, I mean, I retired in 2007 and uh, following following my um, uh, development of the intranet, I, um, I had a, a sort of unofficial consultancy where IT, ITS, as they were known, would call me in to be the, um, the police voice to convince the senior command team whether something was um, had some mileage in it or not, because... Mm. Techno Bob uh, wouldn't be blinded by the shit. And mm. I, at that time, I was saying, you, you really need um, to have um, a, a course in digital forensic awareness, digital evidence gathering, because um, all the things that we take an inordinate amount of time doing, there's actually a shortened way in which you can do it. Mm. But you need some balls and you need triaging to mm. identify what you're going to take. Mm. And what you can't do is um, think that there's uh, a way you can avoid it. Mm. And um, there, there were too many technophobes at very senior level. Yeah. One who didn't understand it, yeah. distrusted it, and they just thought it was, um, you know, you're just looking for boys' toys. And it's like, mm. no, you, you, you really, the money you do spend on, um, you know, you, you don't think about. But this, you're thinking about it because yeah. you don't understand it. Yeah, well, I'm hearing I'm hearing all sorts of horror stories as well of cops getting so frustrated with the working practices or the lack of support that they're sending sensitive data via WhatsApp. Um, they're using things like Dropbox accounts for exchanging very sensitive information and intelligence. All of this kind of stuff is going on. It's going on, you know, because and it's not because they're corrupt. Or because they're because they haven't been given any other alternative, and yeah. um, and they just want to kind of get the job done. But you know, it's only a matter of time before something. You know, there'll be there'll be another scandal involving a loss, a massive loss of data, or 
compromising of sensitive intelligence or something like that, won't they? Yeah, I, I mean, again, I think the, the problem is, um, and it, it goes back to the um, approach to crime, having, having had the Blair targets and whatever, I remember we had a Barclay card data, data centre going to open on us. And uh, we had a meeting, they said they wouldn't report all their crime to us. And I said, no, 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 you don't report your crime to us. And it was anticipated by the government. They didn't, they didn't include um, e-commerce crime within main crime. And I think that was the missed mm. opportunity. Mm. One, um, because actually they would have recovered a lot of money, but they were, they were scared of the figures. Yeah. Because yeah. at the time it was Punch and Judy, politically over figures mm. having something when they were saying we're driving crime down the whole thing is it was new crime or if it wasn't new crime it was new ways of committing it mm. and there was a simply missed opportunity to just front it out say right this is a new frontier yeah put the money in it because again the high-tech crime units or dfus they're massively understaffed i mean the the, yeah. the reports i've spoken to people very recently but there were you know flipping waiting times of one and a half years on hard drives it was fucking yeah. mad mental yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah and they wonder why but, victims withdraw their cooperation then. well yeah yeah and, and i think it's it is something where i mean it, going back to where have things changed the the, the change is communications Mm. Um, mobile phones you know mm. whether it um and, and certainly the explosion since the iphone these days everyone's phoning the the, the, the cops mm. um to the extent that you can have what uh, appears like a denial of service attack because all this information coming in that's right and you know what makes and, me laugh about that bob is that they're constantly banging on about oh we need to open sort of new challenge channel channels of ways of people in other contacts it's like do you really think about think about that? You can't even you can't even service the demand. You weren't even able to service the demand that was there five years ago. Never mind what's there now. Eh? Um, and do you really want to open new channels for people to and contact I mean, you? The, the point of it is, though, Ian, uh, as I said, going back to when I started, if someone wanted to ring the police, the home home telephone ownership wasn't big. They generally had to go to a TK and wait along a long queue to get in. Now they can look out the window, phone up, and, and continue to phone up. And again, we've become a push button society. People mm. aren't interested in long-term problem solving. Just take away the problem. Mm. And that society, I mean, again, I think we, we paid the price with talking about response times and having that as a, as a measure of effectiveness. Mm. And quite often we were responding to things we should never have responded to. Mm. And and we we encouraged a blue light culture in the job that you want to get away from. I mean, it's, mm. it's you know, number of times I get a complaint saying you never arrived, and it was they screeched there to screech somewhere else and say, mm. well, they were there, admittedly not a long time, yeah, and they yeah. should have got out and patrolled and done something or spoke with, given a number. Of, don't don't come to my house. Don't do it. So mm. society has gone to a much and it's it, part of it is this. Um, is the new digital identity is mm. it's gone to a much more anonymized element. Mm. I mean, before people didn't want to know, but now they want to tell you, but don't want to know. Yeah. And yeah, but yeah. they expect that. Well, I've told you. There you go. Shift the blame. You're responsible. Why aren't you doing something about it? Mm. Yeah. In yeah. essence, it, it's it's made 
the insolubility mm. flipping exponentially worse. Do you think? Do you think we need a? Do you think we need a royal commission on policing to sort of reset things? I, th I think. I think that the the problem is policing, and it's evidenced by the number of dramas, is way too sexy for something as boring as a royal commission that will evidentially come up with what we should do. Because whatever a commission said we should do would have to do away with um, the, the past decades of development of a police service that now um, arguably hasn't got the sense of mission because it's got too many things it's supposed to be doing. And mm. it's hamstrung by a need for not just political correctness, but a level of sensitivity that a force doesn't have. Mm. A force, by its very nature, involves some compulsion. Mm. Uh, again, I mean, uh, I was I was out with a mate the other night who's who's now a, a taser instructor, and I said I wouldn't have lasted five minutes now. Mm. I, I would not have lasted five minutes. Mm. And in essence, not corrupt. Um, I, I, I saw um, to be you know a blue knight. Mm. You cannot be a blue knight anymore. Yeah. To if you're effective, yeah. I think yeah. that it's it, the force has been gelded to an extent that says anything that you do positively will be adversely commented on by someone. Mm. And the problem is now everyone's an expert. Yeah, yeah, everyone's yeah. an expert. Yeah. So no, I don't think I don't think I would last very long either. I mean, I was like, you know, I never, you know, I was always a, I was never a rule a rule breaker. You know, I was always, I never got properly investigated for anything in my 30-year career but but I was robust you know on the street as a as a PC as a sergeant as an inspector you know I didn't take shit off scrotes and well, um, I'll tell you, I wouldn't last internally I, I remember having a sergeant by the throat up against the wall who would uh, upset me and the, the inspector who's witnessed said, oh, I wish he wasn't here. I said, well, you should be doing that, not me. Um, but, yeah, they, that bit about, see, part of the thing around passion, and despite evidence to the contrary, I, I'm a thinking person. I, I, mm. I think quite mm. deeply about a, a lot of all this. But thinking doesn't translate into being effective and competent. There are some times where actions speak louder than words. Mm. And whoever's sensitive, and you know my level of sensitivity is, <laughs> is razor sharp, um, sometimes necessity drives. And I think the problem now is, and I think, um, I think, touched on riots, I think part of the problem around now is that policing serious disorder risks losing it losing the streets because the sensitivities around decision making are far too um far too vulnerable mm. I'm, I'm, i'll believe you i had i had the uh, most challenging um night of my police career when i was the commander for operation javari yeah so this was order in las elves and um uh Neil Gould, who was a chief. There were, fire, they were shooting at the the, the, yeah. the scrotes were shooting at the police helicopter, weren't they? Neil Gould was the um, uh, ops chief subject. He phoned me at Burden. Could, could you get your arse in? We got something happening on Saturday. There's a march in Hansworth. So I went to the briefing, and uh, so there was this big operational order for the march, um, which finished at six, and then there was, and 
Superintendent Bird will then become Silver Commander. And there was a blank sheet of paper. I said, oh, you just do whatever with what's left. And so I went in early because I'd heard it was bubbling. And um, I got... Um, I, I got to Queen's Road. That's where Silver Control was. And I saw some public order um, tack, tack advisors, tack ads. Mm. And they'd all been at the villa. And um, the one said, um, are you up here? I said, yeah, I'm taking over. Um, he said, do you want us to stick around? Because, um, yeah, stay here. I'll authorise the overtime. You stay here. Because I think. So I went upstairs and... Um, uh Gary Can was silver mm. and uh there was I think there was a chief sopped and a sopped who were not barricaded in but were um entombed in a meeting hall and mm. had to be rescued mm-hmm. um and then it kicked off. So um all of the the things that you'd expect to do as a commander, briefing, blah blah blah, didn't happen. It was right. It's happening, and, and in the end, I just rested it from mm-hmm. Gary. I said, Gary, no, just give it me. You've had the rest of it, just give it me, because otherwise you'll never give it me. And mm-hmm. with, with with all fairness, um, mm-hmm. perhaps these are a new set of eyes. Mm-hmm. And so it, the, the shit hit the fan, um, and as you say, as, as the night went on, it was, you know, I told you I, I used to do um, police assessment. One of the things we used to do in police assessment, a superintendent, was what they called... A oh, fucking on Al- Alzheimer's is terrible, you know. Mm-hmm. It basically it was a policing scenario that just mm-hmm. got worse, and yeah, every yeah. time you said something, it got worse. It was like that. It was like you're aware of the body. What body is that? Stabbed. Um, is at a hospital dead? There was apparently, and so it just kept ramping up, yeah, and yeah. it um, it got to about. So I got there about five, about eight o'clock. It went a little bit quieter, but it was like the rest of the world's going to happen. And so I did probably what virtually no one would have done. John Eaton was uh, with my tech advisor and um, we discussed it and said, look, they don't know what they're fucking doing. And we've got people out there, but they don't know what we're seeking to do. I've got Dave Shaw, who was gold. I want you to protect all of the significant vulnerable premises. And I looked at the fact there were 466 mm-hmm. in the Zells and Hansworth. I said, fuck that. And I said, thank Thank you for giving me that direction. I will tactically implement what I'm going to do. Mm. Uh, but bear in mind, I was I was towards the end of my career, so I, I didn't give two shits. It, mm. it was more, um, particularly having been public order commander at various levels, it was like you get one go at getting this right. That's mm. it. Yeah. Uh, and so me, me and John discussed it. I said, I need to speak to him. I've, I've just got to. And um, so he said, right, it's quiet. The sergeants become the um, uh, the bronzes. Mm-hmm. Get get all the inspectors in, and so they it, it, we, they probably weren't on the ground for thirty minutes. Quiet, nothing happened during that thirty minutes. But I got them in. I said, "This is what I'm going to do. No one, we're not going to defend buildings if they're burning. We're not going to be Aunt Sally's. Move, 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 move. Everything's going to move." And um, we uh, got them back out. And it was. It was any time they gathered, they charged them and moved. I remember the chief ringing me at two in the morning. This is after there was a police officer shot, won the mm. OSU. The OSU said that take him out, he'd been shot in the thigh. Um, there were numerous reports of shooting. There were Thornhill Road staff going, were frightened. We think they're going to storm it. 
Uh, and the chief rang me back to in the morning saying, you know, what, what's the paper going to say? I said, it's been a bad night, but we haven't lost it. Nowhere is burning, actually. We, we, we managed to stop that. And I said, you know, uh, and the, the troops have done everything can expect. The following night, it continued. There was another, there was someone who chased and um, fell and shot and killed uh, another rioter. I mean, it was mm. it was just intense. Yeah. Uh, and the culmination of all the training I'd, I'd ever done mm. and the opportunity to do it. And um, at the, the, um, the debrief, I was slated. Absolutely. We felt vulnerable, blah, 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 you know, all this. And it's like, uh, I said, well, okay, I'll give, I'll give you my take on it. Only with the benefit of hindsight can I say this, but it was the right decision. No one probably would have done it, but that doesn't mean I'd change it. And and you know why? I said I've been on the uh, the shields as a PC sergeant inspector. I've I've, I've directed as as a DCI and superintendent because I, I used to because I knew most of them. They were all OSU mm. from my days. I used mm. to do lots of CAD courses. So I, I did tabletops on that. So it was like, um, and again, goes back to, what, why do you think I was I was selected? It was probably because I did what other people wouldn't do. Mm. And it was, it was a starting piece for the police because the police love predictability. They don't mm. like people who go against um, uh, the norm. But in that, and this is the, the, the sort of tagline, um, I, uh, a lot of the inspectors were brilliant, brilliant, the stuff they did that night. Mm. And you don't get, I don't think, the opportunity now, um, mm. God forbid, of that sort of disorder, but it's where you can see the people who've got real talent balls and can lead people. And that mm. that's, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. probably when you talk about mission and everything else, yeah, yeah. that's the bit. That yeah, we... no, I still think when the shit hits the fan, I think there's no one better than the British police. Um, yes. But uh, listen, Bob, uh, I'm going to draw a line there because otherwise um, we're, go we're going away. <laughs> we're going we're, we're going away in our We're going away in our caravan, which we refer to as the West Wing. And I've got to... <laughs> I've got to uh, sort loads of shit out. So, uh, no so li listen, it's been a real pleasure chatting to you. I mean, it's brilliant. I mean, you've done some fascinating stuff. You've been you've been true to yourself, and that's what I really love. You've been true to yourself. You haven't. You never swallowed the corporate pill. Um, you just did what you thought was the right thing to do. I saw and, the emperor's uh, new clothes too many times. I know. No, and well done you. Well done you for being. For being that person so uh so yeah we must catch up with uh yeah. with clive we'll go for yeah. uh go for Me beers often every week so we'll um, we'll drag you out somewhere yeah yeah um, i'll as clive said to been, me i'll I been, promise I'll, promise not to shit myself uh, no no what i'll do is i'll forget the man up pills and just come with the there there cream <laughs> excellent yeah yin and yang <laughs> all right mate listen you take care of yourself and, you. and uh i'll uh, i'll let you know when it's going out cool Take Excuse care. Me. All the best. Bye 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 bye. Once we had a policeman, he was often in our street. We used to smile and wave at him while walking on his beat. But now we never see him, it really makes us frown. No longer do we feel that we're the safest street in town.